This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, you're with Melissa Idris, Kusu Chuang and Julian Ng and it's now time for the SNM show. This week, we're looking at Kun Yu Yin's latest blog post, uh, which is titled The Most Essential Lessons for All Investors. But before we go into that blog post, let's um, let's introduce Kun Yu Yin for those who are not, who are not familiar with him. He co-founded three of the country's uh, construction giants, IJM, Gamuda and Muda Jaya. He's also a very savvy investor, quite respected um, in the investing community. And also, he's very vocal with the state of affairs of the country. He's also a philanthropist, right? Uh, so he's got a lot of money and he, he makes a lot of money and he gives a lot of it away. Yeah, I mean, he, uh, he doesn't believe that he can take it beyond, take his cash beyond the grave, which is actually a truism by itself. It's true, it's true. Yeah, yeah. Proven. Uh, I've tried, but... Uh, <laughs> 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 but what is astounding, I think, about him is that he, he's quite public in, in saying that he doesn't, he, he hasn't made, he's made most of his, his money from the share market. And he only started doubling in the share market, investing in the share market meaningfully from the age of 53 years old onwards. Amazing. So he's an octogenarian now. and he's only, he he's. He was already independently rich correct, at that point correct, in time, right? Correct. Yeah. But he, when he sold his Gamuda shares to, to the Lin family, uh, he only made a few million, presumably, but Gamuda was a smaller diff and different animal then. Mm -hmm. So, But most of his wealth, astoundingly, was made from the share market. So to me, this is the difference between uh, an investor who has and for the rest of us who haven't, mm. right? Because if you start off with a position where you have a lot of money, then uh, you can afford to lose it because after you've lost... 10, 20 million, you still have 50 million in yeah. the bank and that sustains your living. But yeah, if, sure. if we lose like 50,000, 100,000, that's a big chunk no, of our I've life I've done savings. some research and unless he's telling me a fib, or, or unless he's posting fibs, his starting capital was only 200,000 ringgit. But how much did he have in the bank? After selling off IGB, Gamuda and Amuda. A Jaya, lot more right? than you and me. Yeah, yeah. yeah combined <laughs> yeah. for 100 years. Okay, but, but you know, uh, the, the amount of money aside, it's the approach, right? So, you know, he's posted this, this blog post about um, lessons for a super investor. So he actually listed down seven traits or seven ca characteristics that a super investor, quote unquote, um, must have. So... But if we went back to the way he invests, I mean, he's coming from a position of uh, power and money. The, the risk taking is going to be a lot higher than the rest of us who has so much more to lose. Yeah, but then again, you know, and I've done quite a lot of reading on this Kunyo Yin guy. And his number one rule is that the companies that he invests in must, must make more money this year than last year and more money next year than this year. So it's always based on earnings and earnings growth. Anytime the company starts to lapse in its earnings growth, he starts shedding shares. Anytime the earnings growth accelerates and gets faster than, than the previous quarter, the previous corresponding year, he aggressively buys more. So that, to me, that's an ironclad rule because at the end of the day, um, company earnings don't collapse if you're backed. Uh, company share prices don't, don't collapse if you're backed by solid earnings. Well, those are very simple rules, right? Yeah. The company's making more money this year than last year. Do do uh, people I mean, not follow that rule? I mean, that seems to be knows. very basic well, rules. Well, arguably, um, past performance doesn't reflect future performance. And if he says that next year's profits have got to be higher than this year, then that involves an element of prediction and we know where prediction takes us, right? Uh, sometimes uh, we, we have varying 
um, results from trying to predict predict the future, we are ver- not very good at it. Correct. So before we go into the seven trades, I think what happens is someone as senior as that and as experienced as that, he would have a collation of a lot of data points. So when he monitors the Bursa Malaysia announcements, he note he, he looks at certain stocks and certain factors that he's already done some research on. If he sees a jump in this quarter's earnings from last year, as well as consecutively from the previous uh, calendar quarter, then his interest has peaked. And then he starts buying a little bit. And over subsequent quarters, if the earnings continue to show um, the same kind of growth trajectory, then he buys some more and buys some more and buys some more. Well, he's been very vocal about buying into VS industry, um, also Latitude and Lehan. Um, some of the these stocks, I think he says a lot of people want to know why he has bought into these stocks. So he's defended the purchase. And um, the, the price charts actually show that um, all of these shares have gone up a few hundred percent per year. Yeah, I mean, um, basically he, he, he spotted... so. So he can spot themes, just like all of us, he can spot themes. He can spot themes like, for example, the US dollar uh, appreciating. Mm-hmm. He can spot things uh, in terms of the ringgits um, deteriorating. But what he has the ability to do is, is identify s- sectors and identify companies within those sectors, which many of us are not able to do. All right, shall we go into the traits? Uh, number one of uh, trait to be a super investor, you have to be a contrarian investor, according to Kun Yu Yin. You have to have the ability to go against the crowd in investing. You must not be afraid to buy when most people want to sell and sell when most people want to buy, as if tomorrow is too late to sell. Easier said than done, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, when sentiment is weak and you see and you're bombarded by headlines every day about how this is happening, that you know, energy prices are collapsing, commodity prices are collapsing, uh, foreign funds are selling... Would you have the you know the chutzpah to buy? Mm-hmm. A lot of people won't have the guts to do that. It is a known fact that, and research has proven that this uh, that the psychology is a big factor in our long term returns. Uh, so it takes a lot of guts. Uh, we tend to follow the herd uh, when everyone else is selling, we sell. Uh, but uh, actually, that's the best time to buy. Correct, and none better a time than now when everybody's so negative Malaysia, right? Yeah. Uh, but then that also then you have to know what to buy after that because there's so many um, potential value traps out there that um, to choose the right horse in a way it's nearly as or even more difficult than choosing the sector of the theme. So I'm going to put my bit in for uh, the call for long-term investing, right? So long-term investing is that you hold your shares even though the market is uh, falling like a knife, right? Uh, so is that is that do you think that's part of uh, being contrarian as well? Because by by virtue of holding your stock, every day you are a new investor, uh, you can decide to buy, sell, or hold. Uh, when you have made a decision to continue holding your stock, that effectively is like uh, buying into the stock, being like a new investor as well. So um, does long-term investing, I think long-term investing does have an element of uh, being contrarian as well. But yeah. Um, to which I'll reply that there's no one style that's f- that suits all. Mm. Um, you know, back in the day when I was studying about investing 20 years ago, I was I was trying to wade through the Intelligent Investor written by um, Benjamin, Benjamin Graham. Graham. Um, it was like eating cardboard. It was so difficult. <laughs> but um, very dry. Very dry. It's all about Huge. analysis. Actually. Correct. But the thing is, with those books and with those you know those tomes, you know the American share market is over 100 years old. Mm. You've got companies with 60 years, 70 years, you know, 80 years of reported earnings. In a way, it's easier than in Malaysia, which is, you know, our, our stock exchange is relatively new. Uh, it's been around since the late 60s, uh, you know, but meaningfully only in the last 20, 30 years. So when you, you know, I'm going to cite Kunz again, right? When, when, when Kun talks about 
analyzing companies, he doesn't go beyond five years or six years because he says we we haven't been around that long. We don't have that track record to analyze over the long term. Mm-hmm. So his viewpoint is only one to two years, one to two years, one to three wow. years. Yeah, two to three years. He gets in once the company starts to make less money than the previous quarter, he starts shelling. When the company earns more money than the previous quarter and the previous corresponding quarter a year ago, he uh, buys more aggressively. It's an easy rule, right? Then you don't have to worry about waiting through 50 years of earnings. I'm not sure if this is like a black box uh, to allow you to make untold riches, right? Uh, It's very hard to find a black box where you say that if you follow a certain formula, you'll be like massively rich. Uh, I think it's very, very hard to say that. If you look at, uh, granted, what you said about uh, the recent uh, relatively new, relative newness of our market, but the market has been around since the 60s, and you look at uh, annualized returns of uh, the KL Stock Exchange over the past 20, 30 years, it can be safely said that the average annual returns of the market is around the 8 to uh, eight to 9% level per annum. That's pretty decent. That uh, way outperforms our inflation rate and uh, actually would give you a decent return over the long term. So actually, um, my question is whether just a, a do-nothing strategy investing into broad indices in the KL market is uh, a, a viable strategy, whether that's a black box, a kind of black box to give you super normal returns over the long term. Now, Julian, just before the break, you talked a little bit about how doing nothing, you could actually beat the market. Before. No, no, you can't beat the market. You you can get market returns, which right. are decent enough. Uh, 8 to 9% per annum uh, over the last 20, 30 years is a do-nothing strategy. You, you can spend time doing other things. And my, I'm not actually advocating that. My question is, uh, that uh, we have to be a little bit, we, we have to take with a pinch of salt a lot of these advice from gurus, right? Uh, because they they've they have the ability to take this risk. They have a lot of money behind what they say. But what if you don't have a lot of money? If you just have 53,000, uh, 50,000, like what Kunyudian started with, that's all you have. Would you be able to follow these formulas and uh, and become as rich as uh, Kunyudian? I think at the end of the day, it's all about who you are and how you're built, isn't it? Because if you are highly risk averse, then yeah, just hug the index and you'll be fine over the next 20, 30 years. That's not bad, you know, tw- compounded. That's a fantastic return when you retire at 60, whatever years old. But if you're not built that way and you want to be able to control, in a way, your destiny, then you kind of subscribe to the Kun point of view. I, d- I don't think there's a be-all and serve-all mm. um, theory. Okay, I but, mean, cert- but I'm asking the question, if 50,000 is all I have, should I follow Kun Yin, right? If I'm, I'm willing to take the, the risk uh, and his principles, uh, will I be... Uh, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, be as rich as he, he Well, is. it depends, you see, because yeah. you, there's a lot of discipline embedded. Like, for example, you look at the second trait. Um, he advocates the fact that great investors are highly obsessive about playing the game. Yep. That means eating, sleeping, drinking, dreaming about investing. That means waking up in the morning and opening your screen and analyzing the hell out of whatever company yeah. that and you're And that is all at. you do, That's right? And that is all you do, That's yeah. quite a life, right? Yeah. Yeah. But that's what Buffett does, right? You know, a, a Warren Buffett eats, drinks, sleeps, dreams about his investing. And, you know, if you're into it, why not? If it's a game that you enjoy playing, why not? Mm. That, well, that I agree. That if, I mean, if you're truly into investing and that's what you want to do 24-7, then this uh, is a good place to start, this kind of advice. Trait number three seems to be common sense, but uh, I think a lot of us fail to do this. A good investor, Kun Yin says, uh, is willingness to learn from past mistakes or admit that he or she has bought the wrong share. 
Yeah, you know, this again is human nature because it's it's very hard to be... And no, it's not just the willingness to accept the wrong, but it's also exiting the loss-loss-making position. A lot of people have legacy stocks in that portfolio that they just haven't sold because they're just waiting for that, fe- that fella to turn around. It could be years. Yeah, this goes back to the psychological element in investing. Uh, we we have all these uh, psychological hang-ups uh, where we uh, we have to keep on holding on to mm. loss-making stocks, uh, thinking that it's only paper losses until we sell it, right? And that that causes us to keep on holding to them. Okay, trait number four is a uh, good investor must have an inherent sense of risk based on common sense. So you've got to have uh, some common sense to realize the risk of buying any share which has gone up a lot and when all analysts are recommending a buy. Yeah, this is basically <laughs> falling in love with the stock which is your darling port- in yeah. your portfolio, right? But if it's gone up, if it's gone beyond what you think is a fair value, I think then uh, you have got to have the discipline to... You know, a lot of people say they're good buyers and a lot of people say they're good sellers, but very few are good buyers and sellers at the same time. Mm. Um, and it's having that temperament. What about um, trait number five? Because this is going back to his contrarian view. He says, great investors have confidence in their own convictions and stick to them even when facing criticism. So there is a very thin line between this recommendation and the one that you have to sell, right? So if you had great conviction and your stock has fallen 20 30%, uh, do you cut loss or do you hold on to your conviction that the stock would eventually be a multi-bagger? <laughs> Let's talk about Tanaga for a little <laughs> while, right? <laughs> you know when Tanaga went to like 11, 11 and a half bucks or something and when everybody was concerned they're going to buy Tan- um, you know, Edra's power, 1MDB's Edra power assets, you know, if you had believed in the stock at the time, you would have just said, hey, you know, it's on the cheap, I'm going to buy it and, and look at where it is, it's back above 14 bucks again. So it's really having that conviction, right? And I'm not saying, and I'm not by any stretch of imagination saying that I'm an astute investor. I'm just trying to learn from these guys. And I'm just going to say again, Jules, you know, how many super investors out there are willing to go public with their theories and their knowledge and their wisdom? Very few. Well, there's this thing called uh, the survivorship bias, right? The people that you read about who are very, very successful yeah, yeah. are the only ones that you can know because mm. they're out there, they have been successful. They're talking and about it. They're talking yeah. about their wealth uh, and their success. But uh, out of every one Warren Buffett or one Kun Yuyin, there are probably 10, 20, 50 uh, who did not make it tried uh, as, as, Crashed the, and burned, as yeah. the rapper Jay-Z said, uh, get rich or die <laughs> tried. Right. <laughs> um, so a lot of them have died trying. You know, but there's a, equally there's a lot of people that may not have reached the stratospheric levels that Kun might have reached, but then it's been enough to put their kids through university, it's been enough to retire on, it's been enough to give them a, a, a reliable dividend income on. And a lot of these guys are not going to be saying, I'm going to put pen to paper and share my wisdom with anyone else. I'm just going to, you know, go and play squash because Why? that's what I'm going to do with my Why spare do you time. think he's sharing all these tips? Because I think he's old, because I think he, he wants to, um, you know. And you know, people who get old, everybody gets old. You know, people, as they get older, they want to start sharing, giving back. They mm-hmm. start feeling mm-hmm. philanthropic. They, they find religion. You know, it kind of manifests itself in many different ways. I think that um, it is statistically impossible for everyone to be as successful as Kun. Because yeah. if everyone was, I mean, you, you got to buy from Correct. somebody, right? Yeah. you got to buy from a seller. Correct. The seller, someone has to lose out. It's a zero-sum game. So uh, a very successful investor comes at the expense of many, many unsuccessful ones, I think. Okay, I'm going to go very quickly past uh, trait number six. He says, it's the ability to think cl- clearly. Our brains have, have three functions. Um, it's to circulate your blood and control your breathing second is your emotion and third is logical thinking and that's the key to being a good investor trait number four num- trait number seven he says uh, finally the most important and rarest trait of all is the ability to live through price volatility and fluctuation without changing your logical thinking process 
Yeah, I mean that that's probably the hardest, right? Because it's staying convicted, you know, and and when everybody else around you was selling and panicking, what do you do? And you know, a lot of people through the 2008 global financial crisis, when shares were falling through the the floor, you know, what do you do, right? Do you, do you stay convicted? Do you panic sell and, and cut your losses? Even the most experienced investors also suffered to the same well, thing. Public data is available as to what people did back in 2008, especially coming out of the United States. A lot of people switched from equity mutual funds to bond mutual funds at that point in time. On hindsight, that was the worst, worst mistake they could have that done. they have yeah. done, right? So this is hindsight analysis. Um, but going forward, um, and if you're holding a bunch of stocks, a portfolio of stocks, what do you do when the market crashes? Is it's crucial. Up. I yeah. mean, it's, it's crucial, right? Uh, would you dare to do it? I mean, psychological aspects again. All right. You've been listening to the SNM show with Kusu Chuang, Julian Ng, and I am Melissa Idris. News is next on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.